Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Rivers Corbett. I'm the Atlantic Canada host for Canada's podcast, where we hang out with entrepreneurs from coast to coast. But this coast is all about hanging out with Atlantic Canadian entrepreneurs. And today's guest is a great friend of mine. She's been hanging out in the entrepreneur space uh, in New Brunswick, where I was hanging out a lot in the past. And I've been really admiring her journey. And, you know, as, as I was trying to explain Janelle Sobe, uh, I went on her LinkedIn profile, and this really describes her to a T, because even though her slant is very techy, she's also got this quirky personality to her. So this is what she wrote the other day when she was posting for a job interview. She says, do you know someone in who elementary school took pleasure in organizing their desk and always had the most gold star stickers on their George chart? That's Janelle Sobe right there, a fun personality, and uh, and uh, we're really pleased to have you on the show today. So uh, welcome, Janelle. <laughs> Thanks, Rivers. That is um, a really kind and different introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know me, I like to do things a little bit different. The old zag while everybody else digs kind of uh, deals. So, so yeah, so Janelle's uh, um, background is Right now, she's the chief executive director of an organization called Riddle, and we're going to get into a bit of that. And she's also the partner and former managing partner of Code Plus Mortar, and has got all kinds of language wrapped around this that I haven't got a freaking clue what it is that she does, but I know that she really enjoys what it is that she does. And that's why I'm really keen on this conversation because I'm excited to catch up. So, so, uh, so yeah, Janelle, let's kind of take. Let's kind of take our guests or our, our listeners on that journey of, because when you were hanging out uh, with me originally, you were working for the Pondish Monday organization at the University of New Brunswick, kind of diving in, serving entrepreneurs and so on. At what point did you say, no, I want to do this on my own. I want to grab this and, and forge my own destiny after doing such an amazing job serving, or serving entrepreneurs. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. At that time, um, during that period, I was actually an independent, um, like an in, a, a sole proprietor. So I, okay. I was independent consultant, and so I continued to hold uh, several contracts at that time. So even with the PDC or the Business Council at the time, there was quite a handful, and I did that for five years. So I kind of operated that like my first business. It was cool. my first job at <laughs> a school. Um, yeah. And I made lots of mistakes during that. Everything from, you know, accounting um, errors to, you know, not not doing my contracts up properly. Like one time, I think I went like six months without getting paid because I didn't do up my contracts properly where I got paid in installments. And so, um, yeah, I would definitely consider that my first, you know, entrepreneurial experience, even though it was, you right. know, take different contracts and jobs and whatnot. I love it. Yeah. yeah so, so you were a consultant consultant at that point, had a consultant advisory uh, freelance organization that uh, was Janelle Sobe Inc. at the time. <laughs> <Or less. laughs> I love it. I love it. Did you get paid, by the way? 
<laughs> Pardon? Yeah, eventually. <laughs> eventually you get paid. Yeah, it's the funniest thing, you know, when when entrepreneurs, particularly when they're beginning, they look at that accounts receivable section. Oh my God, look at that. I'm doing so well. <laughs> it's, yeah, you're doing so well because the money's in someone else's bank account. So uh, so, so tell us about, uh, um, okay, so that, that switch, because you kind of moved into a career which took you to Halifax outside of Fredericton. And was it at that point? Point in time that you uh, that you started uh, code plus mortar. Yeah. So what had happened was I was fortunate enough to have been able to you know while I was still running the independent consultancy, um, yep. be able to go to university. So at the University of Waterloo, Waterloo, I was flying back and forth doing a grad program, and it was in that um, program that I had a prof say to me. Um, you know, you can you can solve social and environmental problems, but you can scale the impact and the reach of those solutions if you employ technology. And of course, I'd already been working with, you know, technical founders and um, startups. And so that was an aha moment for me where I realized this is how I connect my policy background, my desire to make positive impact and community change with technology and apply a business model, which I also firmly believe that private sector has a significant role to play in how we solve for, you know, everything from climate change to affordable housing. Right um, on. And so the opportunity to buy into an existing company came along, which was Rx at the time. Um, it's a custom software and development shop. So, you know, build, you know, clients would come to, to build products and like, you know, apps or, or software or websites. Um, and we would do those. So ran that for five years as the managing partner after buying in. Um, and then uh-huh. we sold that in February of 2020. So last year, um, and then we're still um, operating it in some capacity for the next year. Love it. Yeah. As part of that exit, that's part of the uh, part of the agreement. Would you stay for a period of time afterwards? The, yeah, I ha- certainly helped to transition and right. put that in a significant amount of time. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, that, that whole uh, concept around scaling, um, can you talk a bit about, about that, that social impact piece and so on and, and how that technology ultimately helped you to scale? I mean, you talked about apps and, and software and so on, but can you give us an actual example of how scaling worked in that particular environment? Yeah, so in, it's interesting. Like there, you would end up with lots of different customer projects, um, and they had very specific uh, needs around. You know, very yeah. Like I can't think of anything very specific. Unfortunately, okay. rivers. I apologize. But if we if we fast forward um, to my current company, so Riddle, which right. I started um, about two years ago now, um, okay. and. It, product software company, so different from the other in that it services. But the way that we're scaling impact is by working with organizations to help them improve their data collection and reporting. So better understanding, you know, what is the outcomes that they're trying to achieve? And are they being successful through their investments, their initiatives, their activities, their programs, and actually moving the dial on solving these problems? And that was one of the reasons that I started the company was there just isn't enough data to tell us, you know, if you invest in a 
to deliver a certain social outcome, say literacy or increasing literacy rates in the province. Um, Are we actually going to be successful? How do we know if we're going to be successful? Um, And why haven't we built a recipe or or know how to replicate it so that we can continue to be successful? And so by employing, I would say, technology here at scale, we're going to be able to collect enough data points to better understand how we solve for these problems. Did it surprise you uh, or does it still surprise you that there's not a lot of um, uh, resources available to start to validate whether or not the impact's happening the way it, uh, the people want it to? Yeah. I mean, uh, what do you mean by resources? Yeah. So when I talk about that data collection, you know, it seems to me it's that, okay, if I'm trying, it, it's, 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 the, it's the lean canvas, you know, you, you, you test, you measure, and, you, you ch- and then you adjust. And what I'm hearing from you from a, even the, using the literacy example is that people, is that there's a lot of um, data that's not being collected to really understand whether or not your programs or projects or your investments are actually uh, actually paying the return on investment that you want them to. So that's yeah. what I mean is does that shock you that that is such a problem given <laughs> that the impact is so important? Yeah, it, 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 sho- it, it's, dis- it's disheartening. I think it's right, right. right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. I don't know if it, yeah. I don't know if it's surprising anymore, um, but you're right. So I would say, you know, like 97% of the market, no matter which customer segment we look at, isn't quite ready to start doing data collection with software yet. And so what's right. fascinating about that is there's almost like a consultative um, work or, you know, they need to do internal strategic planning around, you know, what are we collecting to prove that our hypotheses, which is our activities or our programs or whatever we're investing in as a company um, is being successful. And so, yeah, it's interesting that it's kind of an afterthought as opposed to it starts at the beginning, depends totally on the the sector. So, you know, if it's a nonprofit organization or government or private sector, they're going to vary in whether or not they really understand what their, their impact objectives are. And where are you finding the biggest traction for Riddle right now? By the way, I love the the spelling of the name. It's so cool. I, I uh, just go quickly to that for a second. Uh, How did you come? I mean, Riddle is not spelled with an E or uh, D D L E. It ends at that. What's the reason behind that spelling? So Riddle. Um, so the way that we arrived at the name Riddle was this idea that there's a new breed of investor, and this new breed of investor is more curious about solving real world problems than they are in right. Just- financial return. So they're equally curious about solving the problem, right? Like we've got the Gates Foundation through Zuckerberg committing 99% of his wealth to Warren Buffett, and they're Mm. genuinely investing in trying to solve, you know, malaria or like sanitization or um, issues around the world. And so it's fascinating watching investors or funders, we'll just say to be more um, broad, but who are interested in genuinely solving these problems as well as making a profit and making it sustainable. So it's about solving a riddle. Um, but we the simple answer is drop the E because if you Google riddle, like spelt properly, it's you're going to get a whole bunch of other stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Well, and, and ultimately it really defines what you're trying to do. Solve this, I mean, your company is about solving. So of course you're going to be different because of the, the representation of the, the theme of what you're bringing together. So you, you can't, it can't look like riddle. It's got to say, what's that actually mean? Is it riddle? Is it riddle or whatever? So I love that. Um, so it's so the investment 
the community is really where you uh, focus the majority of the opportunity for Riddle. Is would that be fair to say? Yeah, for sure. So it's and we've started to broaden that, but it's the scope of it. But essentially, we look at a funder as anyone who's investing, granting, putting money into driving particular environmental and social outcomes. Now, right. what's fascinating about that lens is when you apply that to companies or corporations, you know, there's a lot of companies that are now doing ESG reporting or impact reporting as part of their corporate social responsibility division. Right. Or if you look at just ESGs, you know, that's your environmental, social um, and governance um, reporting requirements. You know, uh-huh. that's a more business model. And they're making efforts like investments through, you know, money being reinvested back into the company to reduce, you know, carbon footprints or improve um waste reduction or to improve relationships um, with employees or to have a greater impact on their community. So even if you look at core business models, they might not be your obvious funder, but they're investing back in themselves to create positive impact and environmental value. So it's not just like we look at fund, like where funds are being invested to drive those outcomes, but we're also interested in Um, companies that are investing back into themselves to drive those outcomes. And where we've seen the most urgency, um, and this won't be surprising, has been in real estate, property development, construction, um, oil and gas energy. And for or less the same reason, there's um, immediate emergency or (laughs) immediate emergency, emergency required like tactics that need to be put in place to hit environmental goals. But also the public is very aware that they're pretty large mitigators um, and have a a bad environmental and uh, footprint. What what playground do you like to play in of all those? Yeah, um, I mean, it's when, when we're focused on solving the problem, and so we're really interested in the data and what the data tells us about how do we solve these problems faster. And so to mm-hmm. me, it doesn't matter where the data is coming from. If people are investing in driving particular social outcomes, we get the data in, it becomes another data point so that we can look at aggregates to say, okay, if we fund these things, can we replicate them and can we start solving these problems faster? So tell me about your team. Who who's on the team? At not sorry, you don't tell me who, but you know how do you structure Riddle? What's the what's the the role structure? Yeah, so we're still a really small team. We've got uh-huh. three co-founders um, and developers. So that's been predominantly how we've had the whole team structured for the last two years. Cool. Um, we periodically will bring in um, expertise or skill sets as contractors when we don't have them. So. Uh-huh. Uh, Right now, that's a lot of, um, like, I'd say marketing or content writing. Um, We're hiring our first um, business development role person. So doing second interviews uh, this afternoon, which is exciting. Nice. Well, that's actually, uh, that actually ties very nicely. It's one of my my questions I was just going to lead into. When we first started this conversation, you just got off the phone with somebody in Montreal and I'm curious, uh, as a as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, as a founder, you know, how does how do you what, what does your biz dev strategy look like? Uh, and what tools do you use to uh, to get to that person in Montreal? Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I see so many entrepreneurs, you know, they're getting ready to get ready, and they never really dive into the whole sales process. Yeah, I mean. 
it's funny. One of the things I will jokingly say is, you know, you're just, you're just playing business or pretending to play business until you're making money and then yeah. until it's profitable. So yes, exactly. I love really that. To, yeah. You really have to focus on the sales if you actually want to do business. Um, yes. And so <laughs> it was something we started right out of the gate for sure. Um, as you know, in software, you don't have product. So people can't start using it until you've got your product built. But we started having those conversations early on with prospective Uh. customers. Um, It was tough because we started during COVID, right? Like we were building product and um, COVID happened and our intention had been to be in market and it didn't pan out that way. So we really relied on uh, referrals, introductions, our networks. Um, and I think at an early stage company, when you're looking for, you know, enterprise level or big um, corporations to work with, you know, that's probably your best way in without um, yes. you know, the track record. Um, so definitely focused on that in leveraging our networks and, and getting, um, in as many meetings as possible. Now that, um, you know, borders are opening up again, there's trade shows, conferences that we've been able to start attending this fall, which has made a significant difference. Um, and I'm now based in London, England with the intention of being in market. So we've got a more mature, sophisticated market in the UK and Europe. Um, I still believe in face-to-face, um, business meetings and and believe that that's how relationships are built and how your first sales are made for sure (laughs) yeah that's so brilliant so so you you, you're based out of halifax but you moved to england so how come you were the one that went to england well i think when you're the the ceo and the the founder i think for the first few years and maybe it never stops but you're always the one selling Um, yeah i love it i I love it selling yeah did you, what was, I'm intrigued with that, that journey of, I mean, I, now that I understand the reason why you're over there, um, was it, was it, a, you know, speak to that to entrepreneurs who are based out of Atlanta, Canada, and they say, I got it. No, I got to go to England for a couple of years. What's, what's that transition been like? Yeah. And I don't necessarily believe you have to leave the East coast in order to do business. I think just like into the, you know, it's not easy to fly right now. And so yes. to in market as much as possible, I think was important for us right now, you know, yes. when the world goes back to normal and you can get on your hour and a half flight in, in and out of New York city and Boston and Toronto, then um, it'll be easier to be, I think back in the East coast doing sales again, but yes. transition has been really easy. Um, the cool. high commission has been really helpful. Um, they secured us, you know, free office space. Um, we've gotten like, there's some other East coast startups that have office space here, like Interhive. They've got about 50 people in London. Um, nice. so it was great to, you know, land in a big city in another country and already have some Canadian and East coast support. <laughs> Did you have any, um, uh, immigration issues when you went there? No, because I haven't moved here. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. So, so is it one of those ones? That, and and again, the reason I'm asking these questions is because I want people to really appreciate it's not about doing all this documentation. You can still operate business without necessarily residing in that area. So, um, do, do you have to come out after a year and go back the next day, like you know, like going to the United States from? From Halifax. <laughs> yeah, I think people call that border hopping rivers. Yes, they do. They do exactly. 
Um, exactly. Yeah, you're allowed to be in. I mean, that's an important thing to check. Like um, some countries allow you to be in in the country for three months. In the UK, I'm allowed to be in here for six months. Um, every time you leave, it does reset. So, you know, you cool. go home for a little bit and you can come back. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So what's, uh, where's, um, uh, where's Riddle going in the next day? You know, where's your vision? What's the, what's your sense of five years from now? It's to where you're going to, where you're going to want to see, uh, you're speaking from the platform amongst many of the speaking gigs that you're going to get, and you're going to go, we achieved this. And it's so cool to see it. Yeah. I mean, I go back to that original vision. We're definitely a company that's chasing, um, solving a problem. Um, and it is around this idea that if we can have more and better data, um, Uh in aggregates, we'll be able to better understand if we invest in certain, you know, environmental impact outcomes or social, um, impact outcomes, how do we solve for those? Can we solve for them faster? And then can we replicate them? So we're definitely focused on solving that problem. So I hope that that's where we're at. Um, we, I hope that we have, you know, lots of different types of sectors and verticals that are using, um, our software. So everything from energy and gas to government, um, you know, they're interested, but we'll see. And I'd love for us to be, um, in, um, in in geographically in parts of the world where you know decision makers um are located and where head offices are located as well that's so wonderful um you um uh you're hanging out in the back in the backyard of one of my mentors he doesn't know he's my mentor but he is richard branson and one of the one of his famous quotes he says i don't understand this work life balance he says it's all life so what are you doing for life in London, England, when you're not doing riddle life? <laughs> yeah, I firmly believe that one life for sure. But I've also, it's funny, the pandemic has taught me um, about balance when it comes to not separating work and personal life, but when it comes to making sure you make time for yourself and you make time for doing other things that are going to infuse your work with so much more vibrancy. And I think just more creativity and make your brain work better. Um, So yeah, I've, um, I just did two weeks um, doing a surf and yoga retreat in Portugal. (laughs) Um, I've joined a women's club here. So getting out for lots of social time, which has been lovely and, and networking, um, and the UK culture definitely has an after work uh, pint at the local pub. So <laughs> <laughs> and I think if I remember correctly, it was something on Facebook or LinkedIn where you were attending a, um, a, a football game, i.e. soccer game at that point in time. There was the, you, you seemed to be having a good time. You seemed to have pretty good seats too, Janelle. So uh, I think that was a, a soccer game or was it an NFL game that was happening? Yeah, no, it was a Chelsea football match. You got it. And I was in the nosebleed section. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looked like you were pretty close to the field. Uh, Janelle, how do uh, how do people get a hold of you? What's the best way, uh, you know, people leaning in and say, oh, I want her to talk to this person, this person, this is part of the podcast. We want to support uh, a business and entrepreneurship. But before you add, answer that, can you talk about uh, just briefly uh, your journey, your, your, your kind of your overview of being an entrepreneur in Atlantic Canada versus any other region on the planet. Yeah, for sure. I think um, being an entrepreneur in Atlantic Canada is um, special for so many reasons. I, 
touching on the fact that I said earlier, you know, I think business is still really done by relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're an early stage startup or you're a new business, you really need to leverage and stand on the support of your network and your community and relationships that you've forged previously, because they're the ones that are going to give you your stamp of approval um, mm. to be able to, you know, make the next step or take the next milestone. And, you know, when that's such a critical um, safety net and like kind of stepping stone in the entrepreneurial journey, I think Atlantic Canada is one of the best places for that because we're, you know, it's cliche to say, but we're so small that we are well connected as well. And the ability to connect with maybe the right person or someone knows the right person for you to talk to. Um, and then sure enough, you know, those people have international connections. And so I find Atlantic Canada as an entrepreneur is a great starting point because it allows for a really strong first step (laughs) out. Um, and then the other reason I think it's really special is because, um, there's, you know, access to capital, I think operates in a very similar way. So, um, I think that there's a, a good amount of capital in the region, uh, both private and for funding and grants. Um, Also, you know, pre-COVID, getting in and out of the like East Coast is incredibly easy when you've got, as I mentioned, the direct flights to New York, that's an hour and a half or to Boston, that's a little over, you know, two. um, And then even to the UK out of Halifax, you know, that's a four hour direct flight. And so- very well connected when you can get on those direct flights and it does make business easier. Um, and then that last thing is, you know, talent, talent's always um, difficult in an early stage company. And we have a surprising amount of good developers that have been groomed by some earlier successes in the startup world. Um, and we're really fortunate to have such great developers in, um, in the Atlantic region. Yeah. Shh, don't say that too loud, right? Don't say that too loud because there'd <laughs> be a lot of poaching that comes in. Well, Janelle, this has been amazing. Sorry. Yeah. Where, how can people get a hold? Obviously, you can get a hold of you on LinkedIn. That's where I came knocking on your door to find you for this amazing interview. Thank you so, so, so much. Um, how else can people get in touch with you? Yeah, at my email. So it's Janelle, J-E-N-E-L-L-E at riddle.ca, no E on the .ca, or you can look us up on online at riddle.ca or ID. So, I love it. Well, and follow up and she's, she's, uh, she's, she's a lot of fun to hang out with. And uh, obviously you can say as an entrepreneur, she's uh, very accomplished and it's got some pretty cool journeys ahead of her and very open to helping entrepreneurs along the way. So uh, Janelle, thanks. This has been great. It really has. It's great to catch up with you again. Keep keeping uh, the rock star you are. And uh, we'll look forward to the next time we chat. Thanks, Rivers. Thanks for having me.